From WGCU, this is the Gulf Coast Life Book Club. I'm your host, Carrie Barber. Our first guest today is Brittany Ackerman, author of the novel The Brittanies, about five high school friends all named Brittany. It's a novel, but Ackerman based it on her own history going to private school in South Florida. Later in the show, we'll talk to Julie Clam. She set out to investigate some ancestors whose dramatic life stories she'd been hearing about her whole life. What she found surprised her. Brittany Ackerman, thank you so much for joining us on the Gulf Coast Life Book Club. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to answer these questions. So your novel is about girls in a Florida prep school, and we are in Florida. I'm in southwest Florida, so I really loved um, the Florida feel of this book. But beyond that, I read a really beautiful essay you wrote about considering writing this as a memoir, but in the end deciding to do it as a novel. Can you tell me about that decision? Of course. So I really did have five best friends and we were all named Brittany growing up. And and then there were, you know, some other girls in the group too, not named Brittany, but equally as important to the core group. And so that is where the, the idea stemmed from. But because the, the plot was all manufactured, I just didn't really feel like nonfiction or memoir would be the best form for the story. I, I wanted the girls, um, especially the narrator and the character of Jensen, I wanted them to have the freedom to be able to move around a bit more and not be stuck to, you know, as, as traumatic and crazy as, as real life can be, it doesn't always make for good writing. <laughs> so I think that I really wanted to explore the extremes of these girls' relationships with each other. And as I said in that essay, I found so much freedom to do that. And I've just been really enjoying the form of a novel and really like telling a story all the way through starting at the beginning, stopping when it's done, and and also the form of like a year in the life, like a coming of age, one season of life, and just kind of seeing that all the way through. And if, if I were to tell the same story in memoir, I feel like I would have to do, you know, kind of like what I did for my first book, like essays on different situations that happened to us, rather than kind of that flow of just, like I said, like a year in the life. And also, like I said, everything in the novel is completely made up like those situations didn't happen (laughs) so I wanted to have the freedom to either take stories that I've heard from friends or moments that can be you know traumatic like getting a you know your first period or piercing ears by yourself or all of those things and just kind of fabricating them in the constraints of the novel yeah that's really interesting well you may have made up the events but I felt like the feelings were so mm-hmm. accurate. I was really struck by, I was right back there in my high school feelings <laughs> when I read this yeah. book. How did you remember <laughs> it so clearly? I mean, I'm really impressed with how, did you, do, did you keep your old journals or do you, did you just remember how things felt? Or I was really struck by how accurate you got all those things. Well, I think I'm just so traumatized <laughs> by high school that, no, but seriously, I think that A lot of it is, you know, I have, I have pretty bad anxiety. And I think that it is sort of helpful as a writer to have some kind of anxiety. I'm not necessarily promoting anxiety. But (laughs) um, I think that it's, it's been helpful for me, at least because I do remember what people were wearing, um, how I felt like, you know, what, 
you know, the, the exact emotions that I was feeling. And so that was like the most important part for me, like to get those feelings right. And that's why I chose to tell it from a first person narration, because I'm like, well, I can really only speak for my experiences. Like, I can't necessarily speak for, um, you know, Brittany Gottlieb's experiences, or even Brittany Jensen's experiences. Like, I can only speak from the narrator, kind of observing all of it. I actually just, I was writing up an interview this morning where I was talking about, I, I saw the movie Harriet the Spy when I was, I guess I was like seven years old. And I just became really obsessed with uh, just observing the world around me. And I did always have a journal, but I didn't necessarily like look back to the journal for this book. I, I really wanted to, like you said, get the feeling of it right, rather than the remembering, you know, what people wore and stuff. I mean, that was helpful to create the nostalgia of, you know, the early aughts and the, the early 2000s and the very specific fashion that we all had then, which now, oddly enough, is coming back in style, but um, with the, God the help new us. generation. Yeah. But I know, right? <laughs> um, but so, yeah, it was definitely more important for me to just get the, the feeling of, of those times. And I think it's still, it, these are still memories and, and emotions that come up for me. And it was really helpful and cathartic to be able to, you know, rewrite them in the way of like, okay, well, maybe in this moment where I didn't stand up to this boy at the party, like, now I can, you know, now I, I have that power in the writing to do that. That's something I wanted to ask you because I felt when I was reading it, I felt like I was, like I said, I kind of felt like I was reliving my teen years, except with more empathy toward my teen self that I didn't have mm -hmm. then. Do you, how did you feel about your teen self? I know, I know it's fiction, it's not memoir, but how did you feel about your teen self as you were writing versus when you were living these things as a teen? Yeah, it's such a good question. I haven't, been, I've been asked so many questions this whole, you know, book tour, but I think this is a, an original one that I haven't been asked because something that I work on in therapy is, you know, going back through memories and situations that I was in and talking about what message I received at the time. And then in present day, present tense, being able to now give myself a new message and, you know, kind of coach myself through something that maybe I'm not, I'm not over or I'm still dealing with. And that's kind of how I feel about the writing, too. I think a lot of the things that happened to me when I was growing up and especially, you know, family stuff that was happening and, and feeling really out of place at my school and, and all of that, I was able to look back on it with more, like more of like a cinematic kind of lens where it's like, well, what if what if this wasn't all just bad? Like, what if there was more humor in it? And, um, you know, and more, more moments that the, the characters can really learn from, whereas I'm as an adult, still trying to learn from those experiences, like, I have moved on, and I'm moving forward from it, but still learning to cope with the feelings that I had back then, you know, being out of place and feeling confused and all of that and sexuality and identity, still dealing with that stuff as an adult. But putting the characters in situations where they are confronting that more in the story and, and trying to grapple that. And, and that's why I think that the flash forwards kind of come in handy too, because I must be italicized parts in the book um, because it kind of shows like the adult version of this character has moved on and has dealt with it and has seen like, Oh, this isn't the end of the world. Like life does go on, even if in the moment it really doesn't feel like that. 
So I definitely had more of a, a like careful and caring touch around these characters, you know, trying to, like I said, rewrite those moments with more pizzazz, I guess, than, than when I was actually in high school, it just felt bad, um, you know, and it felt lonely and just why, why, why is this happening? But as a writer and having that perspective, I'm able to kind of craft story around it and give it more meaning. Yeah, that's so interesting. You were kind of turning up the heat on it, but also putting more wisdom to it. I'm not sure if that's the right word. And I'm glad you mentioned the you, you the whole thing is written kind of in a flashback, and then occasionally we get a dispatch from present day, you know, the present day narrator who's a who's an adult. And I just love, I feel like those work so well and they're so poignant. Can you say more about about how you chose that that technique? Yeah, so there was one stretch of time where I was doing revisions for the book and uh, my editor, Anna Kaufman, was pretty much like, you know, just try something new in this version. Like, just go for it. But I thought, you know, what if I just have this one thing at the end where it's kind of, you know, what happened and like, where are they now? And my editor really liked it, but she was like, I think this is a little too telling. And I, you know, I think that we should leave people to connect with their own friendships that they had at the time and just not wrap it up so nicely. She's like, but what if instead of just having one big one at the end, we kind of sparse them out, you know, uh, intermittently throughout the book and give it that effect of like, you, I like what you said, the little dispatches from the future, you know, the, the future narrator of like, okay, this, this ended up okay. Or you never heard from this person again, or, you know, this person ended up here and, you know, just kind of getting to see little windows into the future, kind of very true to how we experience that today on social media. And some of her findings were, you know, through Facebook or through social media, but some of them were just like hearsay. And some of it was a little bit of imagination and just wondering, you know, like, I wonder if this person married this person and how they're doing. And I I personally enjoy that it lets the reader do some more connecting in their brain and more imagination than just wrapping every single character up neatly. I think that it's the fact that it's kind of spread out and that we get to see these, you know, these little glimpses into the future for some of them um, is nice because it feels more true to real life to me, at least. I agree. And it also, uh, for me, it's like when I was in high school, you know, if one little thing that happened in high, on a day in high school was just the end of the absolute world, you know, your, your emotions are so heightened and hormones and everything else. And this, these flash forwards just kind of reminded me that the perspective you get as you mature is like, it's not, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> like, it's going to be, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might not necessarily be okay. It might not be okay. But it, but it's, it won't, it, this is not the volcano that you, that I as a 13 year old think it is. So I, I just really love that, how it kind of put things into perspective and how you think that the one thing comment somebody makes to you at a party is going to change the trajectory of your life. And it doesn't. It's like, I never saw that person again. And it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I love that. I thought that was really, really well done. And I liked how sparingly you used it. So speaking of social media, I know it was a time that 
they didn't the the girls the characters don't really use it's a time kind of before the real proliferation of cell phones and social media and stuff how do you think it would have changed them to have social media Oh, boy. I mean, um, maybe like one of them, you know, their parents would like forbid them to go on it or something, which actually would probably be uh, my character as well. So I think that it would it would be just more, I don't know, more access into their personalities. But I think it, it would also kind of shield them and shadow their experiences a little bit, because I think that they are so free and open and they just say and kind of do whatever they want without any like real consequence, you know, in the constraints of the novel. And I think that if social media were present, they would be dealing with a lot more maybe like negative pushback on that, or they would not feel the freedom to do that. So it's definitely, you know, I, it was a conscious choice to have the, the story take place in the space before all of that existed and really, you know, permeated our culture because that was true to my experience. You know, it was it was on the outskirts and it was like on the fringe kind of trying to make its way in. But we were just, you know, my, my character doesn't even have a cell phone in this. And, you know, it's, it's, it's that time period that we're never going to get that back. Like we're never going to be able to go back to that time when, you didn't know, you know, you knew a few people maybe that didn't have cell phones or didn't even have like a home computer or something like it was just it doesn't that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they had the characters had freedom to, and I guess we all did back then to make a mistake or to do something wrong or to say something wrong. And it wasn't then in in the ether forever and everybody sees it yeah. and everybody it's just kind of like. It's a freedom to be like a dorky preteen or, you know, it, it's yeah. it, it's something that's kind of, I don't know, I felt very nostalgic for that time when I was reading the book. Yeah, I mean, I think that people, you know, should be held accountable for mistakes, but I think that there are, there are you know, and, t- and take responsibility for, you know, things that, that are said, but but it is, um, it was a very different time. And, and like you said, it's like these girls, like, I, I wouldn't want that documented. I mean, I see teenagers <laughs> now and they look like supermoms. Right. right. But as you said before, too, it's Not, it's very curated. Yeah. It's a very curated uh, yes. Yes. reality or lack of reality. All right. Well, Brittany Ackerman, author of The Britneys, thank you so much for joining us today on the Gulf Coast Life Book Club. Thank you again for having me. That was Brittany Ackerman, author of the novel The Britneys. Our next guest is Julie Clam, author of The Almost Legendary Morris Sisters, A True Story of Family Fiction. Clam had always been fascinated by her grandmother's cousins, the Morris Sisters. She set out to find out about their lives, and the result is this funny and warm story of what she found. To comment on the show, find us on Facebook at WGCU Public Media or on Twitter at WGCU using the hashtag GCL, as in Gulf Coast Life. Julie Clam, thank you so much for joining us on the Gulf Coast Life Book Club. Thank you for having me. So you and your siblings grew up hearing these family tales about the Morris sisters who were cousins of your grandmother, right? Your father's mother. Mm-hmm. And yep. eventually you took it upon yourself to investigate them. What made you finally want to look into these stories that you had been hearing all these years? 
Well, I, you know, the stories that I heard were fantastic. I mean, um, we had heard that these four girls came from Romania with their parents. Their mother died in childbirth in St. Louis, and they were put in an orphanage. And one of them was so smart, she was able to get a job at J.P. Morgan, make all this money, take all the siblings to New York, be a millionaire, uh, advise FDR, you know, had an affair with J.P. Morgan. I mean, and and then one of the sisters was a playwright, and she had something stolen by a producer. And, you know, every all of these stories were like the, another sister was asked to work with Golda Meir. So, I mean, I was really looking for the details of the stories, like... I mean, I wanted to read about these things that happened. And then when I started researching it, it was pretty much nothing was the way uh, it had been described. They did become millionaires, and they had all of these really amazing things happen in their life, but it was not the stories that we were told. And and I, I mean, so I, I didn't start out as, as uh, I, I just started out because I was like, I'm a writer. I love history, family history, and I want to find out about these cool things. And then it was like, surprise, it's not what you thought. And when I started to dig into it and talk to other people about it, I was amazed at how many other people had similar stories of, you know, a friend who her whole life thought her grandfather had been the captain uh, of this yacht for this really wealthy family and it turned out he was like the you know swab deck swab person (laughs) you know so we we all have these things these stories in our background and you know I sort of go back and forth with whether it matters if they're true or not because they sort of are become part of our identity and you know it's almost doesn't matter whether it's true or not but it is really interesting to me to find out what the actual truth is. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. I mean, it seems like it kind of pulls away at some of the foundation of your what your belief is about your family. I mean, how did it feel mm-hmm. when you found out that those things were incorrect? And I don't know, did it teach you anything or kind of how, what did you come away with it feeling? Well, you know, I think the main thing I realized was that a lot of, you know, a lot of this stories, it was like a game of telephone where one person tells a story about Harold Bache from Prudential Bache and somebody else sort of in their head thinks it's J.P. Morgan and then it kind of goes from there. You know, none of the, none, none of the stories were, you know, intentionally misleading, but I do think the more sisters themselves were ashamed at the truth of their stories and so they change things to make them more palatable and what they felt like more acceptable in the world. Oh, that's so interesting. And you also, in the course of writing this book, you kind of became an amateur genealogist, an amateur researcher. (laughs) Um, What tips do you have for people? I know a lot of people kind of get interested in looking up their own family history. Do you have anything you can share about if people are starting off investigating? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is talk to the oldest people in your family who are still alive and try to get as much information as you can. 
I also think that Ancestry.com is amazing because they really do have as much of of the information in the world that's digitized, so you can kind of look at it from your own home. It, it's also um, like you have to have a tremendous amount of patience because, well, for example, I was looking up, I mean, my last name is Clam. If I had been looking up the Clam family, it would have been a lot easier. The Morris family, you can imagine how many Morrises there were in the world. And um, so, and something I learned much later is that, you know, the algorithms that give you the top hits on Ancestry have nothing to do with what's actually what you're looking for. So you really have to kind of be patient. And, you know, one of the things I saw with the genealogists I watched were that they would just sit and go until they found what they were looking for. And that's one of the reasons I'm not a genealogist, because I get very impatient and say, it's not here, you know. I liken the way my child looks for something in his room and comes and tells me it's not there, how I look at um, information where I just kind of scan and say it's not there. And it is uh, so much of the time it is there. And, and you just have to be really patient. Marcella, in particular, it sounds like, was really a, a trailblazer in her time, like as a woman in the work world. Can mm-hmm. you just say, what, what are some of her accomplishments that you discovered? Well, I mean, she, she was a, a trader of um, pork bellies and winter corn. She actually, what we sort of figured out was she had a trading account as an assistant to probably Harold Beish. She supported her sisters and donated money to Brandeis University, 400000 She donated money to the libraries. And when she died, she had um, over $10 million. So one of the things I, I didn't find a lot of information about how she did what she did. There wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of things written about her. She very much, and all of the Morris sisters very much flew under the radar. And I think part of the the issue, especially with women in finance in those days, was calling attention to yourself was not the way to be successful. And the people that sort of did were drummed out. And if you could kind of keep your successes quiet, they would let you keep doing it. And at one point in your research, you went to, you consulted a psychic and you got the word, allegedly, from the Morris sisters, don't make us a joke, which I found really kind of moving. Um, mm-hmm. Now that yeah. you're starting to do press for the book and, and talk about it more, do you, are you concerned about that? You know, um, I, I wrote the book. You know, when I started writing the book, I was, you know, I, I did, I was thinking of them as being this sort of quirky women of a different time. They had a lot of wacky stories. While I started to write the book, I, they, you know, their, their lives, the experience of their early lives absolutely broke my heart. You know, when you're a kid and you know of old women in your family, you never think of what they went through when they were little kids or, you know, when you're a kid, you don't think of them as ever having been kids and the struggles they went through and and the walls they were up against and the hardships. And I have like nothing but love and admiration from from them. I don't, they are far from 
you know, there's no part about them that I think is a joke. I think that they had some unique ways of looking at things. But I think what they what they said to through the psychic or what, you know, allegedly was that they didn't want it to be like Grey Gardens. <laughs> and Grey Gardens, you know, you definitely people do laugh at Edie. And I don't think people are would are laughing at the Morris sisters. <laughs> yeah, just in case people don't know Grey Gardens, that's a mother and daughter who lived in in on Long Island in a dilapidated mm-hmm. old house, and they were extremely eccentric and and very. They did sort of become a joke. I mean, I know there was a documentary yeah. about them. Albert, yeah. yeah, Albert Mazel made a documentary about them. And uh, just, I don't want to give too much away for when people read the book, but I mean, the, they did have a really rough time as kids. They they immigrated yeah. to this country. Their mother was no longer in the picture. Then their father mm-hmm. was no longer in the picture. I mean, they really were on their right. own from extremely early ages. So the fact that they did make something of themselves is is really quite remarkable. Yeah, it it is. I mean, it's hard hard to make something of yourself when you have everything going for you. And they really had nothing. They just figured they had to do it all on their own. And one of them was she had something wrong with her leg and they put her in a crippled orphanage. She was eight years old. And then she was in the hospital alone for four months and then pulled back to the orphanage that her other sisters were in. I mean, everything you, everything is, is a heartbreaking story. And, you know, they managed to succeed. Yeah. And stay together. And they must have had some Mm -hmm. real resilience, you know, um, each one of them. Uh, Yes. Yep. They had resilience and they were really looked at for each other. Yeah. I always think when people write family memoirs, um, how's it going over <laughs> with the family? Did people read it? And, and what are, is anybody unhappy about it in your family? No. I mean, the, the, the thing that I said, like, I have been, you know, sort of posting on social media about stuff that's happening with the book. And the people, the cousins on the same level as me, everyone wants to know the story. Nobody knew the real story. Even my cousin's parents who knew them didn't have the real story. And, you know, my dad and my, and my other older relatives, you know, they, they were, they were in contact with them and they didn't have the real story. So everybody is just really interested. And part of our job here is to bear witness. It's, it's like, this is, these lives were essentially forgotten except in my family lore and now they're they're not (laughs) hopefully (laughs) enough people will read the book that they are known (laughs) yeah yeah it's really something and so did researching this book make you rethink anything in your own life did it make you change the way you think about your family or did it make you change the way you hold on to mementos or don't hold on to mementos or anything like that oh well I mean one thing that was sort of like there's so there are so many things that you just that people do or don't do and you just don't really think about it and one thing was my grandmother uh my father's mother would write everybody's names on the backs of pictures and I never do that because I look at the picture and I know who's in the picture and then I you know I was like 
thinking, you know, in 50 years, my whatever is going to be looking through my pictures and have no idea who anyone is. And, you know, I, so I started going through and marking them and saying who the people were and, you know, what they, about year they are. I mean, that was one thing. Um, I also, you know, feel like really um, committed to getting as much out of everybody, uh, every, everybody's stories as I can and getting them written down because, you know, there's, you know, talking to people is, is, is not like any other way of researching. It's just like, you know, people remember stories that, and, you know, whether they're true or not, they're interesting and they're a jumping off point. I kind of love family history and I have loved it before and now, you know, and it's really incredible when you start researching and it's your own background to discover these things and think, wow, I have, I have a connection to these, to this. And, you know, this is where I am in the world. I'm connected to them in the past and they're through me to the future and, you know, it's kind of neat. All right. Well, Julie Clam, thank you so much for joining us on the Gulf Coast Life Book Club. Thank you so much for having me. Our show today was produced by Mike Canary and me. Our director is Richard Chin Kui, and our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thanks for listening. I'm Carrie Barber, and this is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.